0: Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa Speedway. Those of you who are watching online, I have to tell you straight up, If you're visiting particularly, this is like one of my favorite, if not the favorite service of the year, because this is our Thanksgiving service and uh, it's a tradition around Westside and if you're visiting, I think you're gonna really, really enjoy it. Uh, Basically, what I need to tell you right now, just to kind of prep, is that when you came in, we've given them out for the last couple weeks, but if you don't have one of these little Thanksgiving cards, you can go back uh, during the service at any time and pick one of these up, because you're gonna need it. uh, Because this is the, the service where we just, uh, we just publicly acknowledge before God that we are thankful for what he has done for us from the big things to the small things, an opportunity for you to write a note, and you can probably already guess what you're going to get an opportunity to do with that note uh, as we round off the worship service today. Uh, if you are a guest of ours, we want you to participate in this. Uh, you can sign, uh, you can write the note out, make it personal, and you can sign it. But those who call West Side home, this service during the year, and we not only write what we're thankful for, but we also, on the other side of the card, um, have prayed about what we uh, would uh, what we feel like God is wanting us to give between now and the end of the year uh, to the ministry here at Westside, to the church, to help us accomplish all that we do inside the buildings that we have at Speedway here at Lenexa, as well as uh, what we do in the city and around the world. So if you came prepared for that, you can write that. If you're a part of the Westside family, if you're a guest, we want you to enjoy the service, but we want you to participate in this experience. It is super powerful and super meaningful to God. who loves when his people acknowledge what he has done for them, amen? All right, you guys ready to dive in? I'm gonna need a little bit more. You guys ready to dive in? There we go, let's pray and we will do just that. Father, we are grateful to be in this place today to experience what it means to be the body of Christ and to just uh, offer up our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving to you for what you have done. And now as we open up your word, we pray that you will open up our hearts to receive just what you had in mind for each of us today in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said? Okay, in 1966... 1966, when I was just five years old, a brand new state-of-the-art sci-fi show began to air on television called Star Trek, starring William Shatner. And each episode's introduction was exactly the same, the kind of introduction that left little boys like me sitting on the edge of my seat. space, the final frontier, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to go where no man has gone before." Come on, give it up for me. <clears throat> Think of that phrase, to go where no man has gone before. I mean, what an invitation, what a challenge. Several years later, they uh, gender neutralized the phrase and it now uh, says, if you watch Star Trek, to go where no one has gone before so the girls can now join us in the adventure to scary places. And all the girls said, I don't know about that. <laughs> when we studied the word of God, We recognize that God is calling us to go to places that no one has gone before. We call that uncharted. I'm gonna ask you a question that we've asked throughout this series. What uncharted territory is God calling you into during this season of your life? Maybe you didn't ask for it. Maybe it's involuntary, but you're into it. Or maybe it's something you need to volunteer for to say yes to. In the Bible... Hebrews chapter 11, contains the names of 16 people. Because of their decision, they were inducted into this chapter that has been dubbed the Hall of Faith. Because of their faith, because of their belief in God, they ended up going to places that no one had gone before, uncharted territory, and the outcome from their lives was just simply spectacular. Spectacular because they said yes. In the first week, we talked about one of the inductees, Abraham, and then in the second week, we looked at the life of his wife, Sarah, and then last week, we talked about a guy named Moses. And what I wanna do today, as we finish up this series, is to give you three smaller vignettes of some of the other characters in Hebrews chapter 11 and ask you this simple question, as I tell these three vignettes, which one of these stories best represents where you are at right now. So, let's dive into the first one. Our first character to talk about today is her stories found in chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, if you're new to the Bible, let me give you the backstory. Abraham, the first character that that we covered, was visited by God and God told him that he was gonna grow his offspring into a great nation and that one day he was going to give the offspring the land of Canaan which we call the Promised Land. This uh, group of people uh, later became uh, to be known as Israel. But God said uh, he's not ready to give uh, Israel the land right now and so he relocates them, 70 total people at the time, he relocates them south and west to Egypt where they are to park until it is time. They're there for a period of 400 years, I mean, that's a long time, and finally God said it is time. So he raises up a man named Moses, a guy we covered last week, he raises him up to be the deliverer of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and Moses does that through the mighty hand of God. He leads them through the parted Red Sea onto the other side, into the wilderness, on their way to Canaan, And Moses uh, identifies 10 spies on a reconnaissance mission into the land of Canaan to check things out. Eight of the 10 spies came back and said to the people of Israel, There are giants in the land of Canaan. There is no way we can beat them, even though God said they should enter into this uncharted territory because he was going to guarantee their success. But they said no. And as a result of their disobedience, they caused the entire nation of Israel, now well over a million people, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every member of that generation had died out. During that same season, Moses, the leader, dies. But before he does, he passes the leadership baton to a younger man named Joshua. And Joshua fires them up again, and he says, it's time to enter. So Joshua, knowing that committees seldom make courageous decisions, instead of sending 10 spies in, he only sends two because he was one of the two spies 40 years ago who said we can do this because God said he will give us victory. He sends two spies in on this second reconnaissance mission. And the story simply tells us that the two spies entered into the walls, the city walls of Jericho, the first city that they are to conquer and it simply says to us that they, uh, they spent the night in the house of Rahab the prostitute. Now I can tell you that if I was one of the two spies when I came home and I told Roseanne where I had spent the night, <laughs> She would have said, right, so of all the places, that's the only place you could find to stay was in the home of a prostitute. Yeah, but the story doesn't even talk about that, right? Which really confuses Roseanne, right? But while they're there in Rahab's house, the king of Jericho hears that the two spies were inside the city walls and he sent his messengers to Rahab's home because he knew they were there and asked Rahab to bring them out. So the messengers come, knock on the door, and in this moment, Rahab has a decision to make. Does she give up the spies or does she lie? Does she give up the spies or does she lie? And in that moment, she decided to lie. She hid the spies on her roof and she covered them with stalks of flax and she told the messengers of the king that the two spies had already left their home, her home outside of the city gates Uh, before the city gates closed for the day, and they went after chasing them. The question is, what in the world was this Canaanite woman thinking to disobey and lie to the king of Jericho? Well, Joshua chapter 2 tells us what she was thinking. Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What is she saying? She's saying, I'm on the wrong team. I'm on the wrong team. As a matter of fact, did you see her declaration? She said, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Your God is the one true God in heaven above and on earth below. So her action, it's time to change teams. She says to the spies in verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And that is exactly what happened. Under the leadership of Joshua, they enter into this first city, the city of Jericho, and by the mighty hand of God, they are victorious. But Joshua saved Rahab and the members of her family because she said yes to entering into a place she had never been before, uncharted territory. And what was the outcome of her life? What was the outcome of this courageous decision? Well, we are told that she ended up marrying a fine Jewish man by the name of Salmon. And they settled in the little town of Bethlehem in a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-camel garage house. <clears throat> and they had a child. And that child's name was Boaz. And Boaz gets married uh, to a a Moabite woman named Ruth, and they have a child named Obed. And Obed gets married and has a child named Jesse. And Jesse gets married and has a bunch of kids, but his younger one is the one to note. His name is David, and David becomes the king over all of Israel. What does that mean? It means that the outcome of Rahab's story, she is the great-great-grandmother of King David. You can't make this stuff up, man. But it doesn't stop there. As we move into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, we have the lineage of Jesus, and it says in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And it keeps going on until we have a baby born in the little town of Bethlehem. Yes, the same town that Rahab settled into. Rahab, the prostitute from Canaan, became a part of the lineage who brought us Jesus. And we gather together today because Jesus came. However, if she would have said no, to the uncharted territory that she was being called in to, she would have missed out. So maybe this is your story. Maybe this is your story. For whatever reason, you have been resisting God. I don't know why it is. You have been resisting God, but maybe in this moment, you have said, you know what? I am on the wrong team. The team I'm on is leading me into a not so good direction. And you know what? It's time for me to change teams. It's time for me to declare like Rahab that you are the God in heaven above and the God on earth below. And that today is the day you change teams and become a follower of Jesus Christ. You give your life over to him and get yourself on the winning team. Because the outcome of your life, I guarantee it, because it comes from the lips of Jesus, is an abundant life now and eternal life forever. And for some of you, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway watching online in the South Sanctuary, maybe today is the day you make that decision. We had several people from the previous service who did just that. But maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Yeah, you accepted the message, but for whatever reason, you've decided, for whatever reason, to not really live it out. And you find yourself in a place where you're on the wrong team. You're hanging out with toxic people. You're just playing on the wrong field. And today as a believer you say, you know what? It's time to change teams. I came up upon a picture this week that really inspired me that might be what you're thinking, here's the picture. It is a group of men who are offering the Nazi salute to uh, Adolf Hitler in 1936, but if you look at the circle, there's one man who's got his arms folded up and he refuses to offer the salute. His name, true story, August Messer, and I could tell you the whole story, it would just inspire you But he's got his hands folded and he's declaring that day, I am on the wrong team. Do to me whatever you want. But today I'm changing teams. Maybe that's your story of awakening today. Character number one. Character number two is only mentioned by name in Hebrews chapter 11. But oh, his story is quite amazing. Some of you know it. Some of you don't. His name is Gideon. A little bit of the backstory. Joshua takes over the leadership and under the mighty hand of God, they conquer not only Jericho, but all the cities in the region of Canaan and they occupy the city. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, because of Israel's disobedience following the death of Joshua, God allows for the surrounding nations to bully and oppress the Israelites now occupying the promised land of Canaan. One such group is a group called the Midianites who have been oppressing Israel for seven straight years. And God says, That's it. And he goes to a man named Gideon and he offers him an invitation into uncharted territory. He said, Gideon, I want to call you to be the deliverer of Israel out of oppression from the Midianites. He found Gideon hiding in a wine press because of his fear for the Midianites. He's hiding. And this is the person God chooses to deliver Israel. So what is Gideon's response? I love his response. Judges chapter 6 verse 15, pardon me, my Lord. I can't imagine talking to God that way, but you know, maybe so. A pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And, and Gideon's decision to God's call into uncharted territory wasn't as decisive as Rahab. <clears throat> what he says is, okay, God, I need to make sure that I'm hearing you and that it is coming from you, so please uh, entertain this idea. I'm I'm gonna put out a lamb's fleece outside tonight, and if I wake up in the morning and the lamb's fleece is soaking wet, but the ground around it is dry, then I'll know that it is you speaking to me and inviting me into this crazy invitation. For some reason, God goes along with it. He wakes up in the morning. The lamb's fleece is soaking wet. The land around it is dry. You'd think that would be enough, but he he tempts God and he says, okay, I'm gonna need just one, I'm just gonna need one, one more verification, one more confirmation. He said, so this time, I'm gonna put the lamb's fleece out and if I wake up in the morning and the lamb's fleece is completely dry but yet the land around it is completely soaked, then I will know that I'm hearing from you and God entertains his little game and he wakes up in the morning, the lamb's fleece is dry, the land around it is completely wet and in that moment, Gideon has to make a decision. Oh, keep in mind, he's afraid. He has to make a decision. He doesn't think he's enough. Is he going to say yes or is he going to say no? And in that moment, he said yes, believing in the one who made the promise, even though he had no idea how he was going to pull it off. His action, he said, I'm not good enough. His action, it's time to step it up. No more hiding for Gideon. I'm getting into the game. So the night of the battle came. God had already whittled the 10,000 soldiers that he started with down to a mere 300 soldiers. Now, why would God do this? Because when they were victorious, he wanted to make sure, loud and clear, everybody knew that they won the battle, not because of their own strength, but because God was working through them. The weapons of warfare that God instructed Gideon to give to the 300 soldiers, trumpet, trumpet, a a, a clay jar with a torch in it. Now, I don't know about you. You're already down to 300 men. There's no way you're gonna win this battle, and you get a trumpet, a clay jar with a torch in it. I would have said, pardon me, my Gideon. I was thinking something more like a bazooka. But you gotta understand, this is not man's war. This is God's war. And so Gideon breaks the 300 men this one night into groups of 100, and they surround the Midian camp, which is in a valley. And at the command of Gideon, all together, they begin to blow the trumpet. And then they break the clay jars and they expose the torches. And then Gideon invites him to shout with him, the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. The sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. There were no swords. But there was a whole lot of Yahweh And it says that the Midianites woke up from their slumber and they said to themselves, if there's that many trumpeters, just think how many soldiers they are. So to save face, the story tells us that they turned on each other and killed each other and that fateful night, Israel was freed from oppression. For years, the Midianites looked at the 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 Israelites and they said to themselves and to others there is no way Israel can ever beat us. There's no way. But on that night when they said no way, Gideon shouted back, Yahweh. (laughs) Yeah, Gideon shouted back, Yahweh. And maybe this is your story. For some reason, in this season of your life, or maybe for years now, you've been saying, I'm not good enough. Maybe someone told you that all of your life and you just started to believe it and you just don't think that you have what it takes. And as a result, it has held you back from the very purpose that God put you on this earth to begin with. That doesn't mean that you can do anything you put your mind to. Don't tell your kids that. That is foolish thinking. You cannot do anything you put your mind to. But... You can do anything when the Lord is in it. And even if it seems ridiculous, like it was for Gideon, you will be able to accomplish it. We have a son, some of you know, uh, named David, uh, who was born without a left hand. And if he were here today, what he would tell you is that um, God has given you everything you need to accomplish the mission for which he put you on this earth for he, said, he would say, for me, one of the things that I cannot do, even if I put my mind to it, is I cannot do monkey bars. I cannot do monkey bars. You ought to try monkey bars with one hand. It is really, really hard. But he said, apparently, God didn't put me on this earth to do monkey bars. But we just found out a couple weeks ago uh, that he has uh, been invited to become a partner of his law firm in downtown Washington, D.C., an attorney in D.C. right across from the White House who deeply loves Jesus. He walks into the courtroom as a litigator with his suit coat cut off, flinging his little stub, but don't take him for granted because he is on mission for God. And he would say to you, apparently you don't need a left hand to do what I'm called to do. He would say, if God is in it, you are enough. Maybe your decision today is simple. It's time for you to step up to the mission that God has given you. And that when people look at you and say, no way, you shout back to them. Yahweh. When people say to you, no way, you shout back. Because if Yahweh is in it, you don't need a sword. You will be successful. Okay, <clears throat> the final vignette that I wanna talk about comes from the life of a guy named Abel. And actually Abel is the first name mentioned in Hebrews 11, here's a story. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So here's the back story. Adam and Eve, the first two people created, reject the vision of God in the Garden of Eden and they are escorted out of it while on the other side of the garden walls they have two children, two boys. The oldest name is Cain. The youngest's name is Abel. Uh, Abel grows up to be a, a shepherd of animals. Cain grows up to be a farmer working the fields and grains. And one day they both brought an offering to the Lord. The story tells us that God accepted the offering of, Abel, but rejected the offering of Cain. Abel brought an animal sacrifice. Cain brought grain. For years, I thought the reason that God rejected the sacrifice of Cain is because God prefers the sacrifice of an animal, an animal sacrifice. But actually, that's not true. Here's the truth from the scriptures. God never asked you to give something he didn't first give to you. He only asked you to give of what he has first given to you. When you read the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus, you discover that a grain offering is actually totally acceptable before the Lord. So the question is, what's up? What's up with Abel's offering over Cain's offering? So what I'm gonna do is i want to take you for a moment back to the original story in the book of Genesis, chapter four, beginning in verse three. I'm gonna read it, and I wanna see if you can pick up the difference. After some time, Cain gathered some things he had grown. He brought them as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering. He brought the fattest parts of some uh, animals from his flock. They were the first animals born To their mothers. Some of you probably saw it. I'm going to put it back up again. I'm going to put in bold the words I want you to pay attention to. After some time, Cain gathered some things he had grown. He brought them as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering. He brought the fattest parts of some animals from his flock. They were the first animals born to their mothers. You see it? Cain brought some of the fruit and the grain of his harvest. His offering was careless. It was thoughtless. He was checking it off of his list. Abel, on the other hand, brought the fattest parts, which means the best part of the meat from the firstborn, his first cut I believe that God would have accepted Cain's grain offering if he had the same attitude as his brother. As a matter of fact, call your attention to Leviticus chapter two and verse one. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering, say it with me, is to be of the finest finest flour. What does it mean? God doesn't want your leftovers. When you bring an offering to the Lord, you bring the fattest parts of the first cut. He deserves that. And we know from culture that still continues on today that when Abel gave the fattest parts or the best parts of the first cut of his flock, he was signaling to himself and to God that he gets it. That the productivity of his flock came from the hand of God and that it all belongs to him. That's what he's signaling. The productivity of his flock and, and all that he has belongs to God. Abel is saying, I didn't do all of this. He's recognizing, I didn't do all of this. Everything that I have and everything that I own came from God and belongs to God. Cain's attitude was, I did all this. I don't mind giving God a little of my leftovers. Abel's action, it's time to give it up because the action of giving the offering to God is when we recognize that it came from God and it belongs to God. The outcome for Abel, not as um, positive as it was for Rahab and for Gideon. The story tells us out of his brother's jealousy, soon after the offerings were made, he takes the life of his brother Abel. But the author of Hebrews says, that today Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Case in point, I'm telling you his inspiring story today that even though his brother took his life out, he offers us a unbelievable example of inspiration of what it means to enter into this kind of uncharted territory which may be your story today. As a follower of Jesus, you've maybe for the first time, maybe you're being reminded that you didn't do all this that every blessing that you may write on the card today, every good thing that has come to you, including the person that may be sitting next to you right now, down to the smallest thing or the biggest thing, the fact that you're taking a breath right now, hello, has been granted to you by God. And you've come to that place where you said, I I didn't do all of this. God did it for me. And I want to signal back to him that I get that by giving him the fattest parts of the first cut, not my leftovers. That's what he wants from us. And some of us, and this is my, <clears throat> my journey as a follower of Jesus, I think no, I, I don't think you get this. I distinctly remember that I went from, to 18 years of school and then I took myself and paid for myself or I got school loans and I went on to college or graduate school and I worked hard and I scraped and then I got this job and I get up every morning out of bed when I'd rather be sleeping and I work and I work and I work and I work and, I work. and the reality is I did all of this. God didn't do it. I distinctly remember it was me going to work that day, not God. You would be mistaken. I call your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, that says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The very gift that you have that produces what you produce was given to you by God. He can take it away. He wants you to acknowledge it. He's given you everything you need, but you have to develop that worshipful attitude, I did not do this, and it's time for me to give it up. Maybe this is the uncharted territory he's calling you into in this season of your life. Uncharted generosity. Three stories. Which one best describes you? First, Rahab, I'm on the wrong team. Time to change teams. Second, Gideon, I'm not good enough. Time to step it up. And finally, Abel, I didn't do all of this. Time to give it up. Where are you? Let's pray. Father, we come to this Thanksgiving service with a heart just full of joy. Because in this moment, we are going to publicly declare that we get it, that everything that we are, everything that we have, every good thing has come from you and it all belongs to you. And right now, we want you to receive this act as an act of worship from us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, these cards that you have, you can go get one if you do have one. Uh, if you're watching online, you have. A, I'll tell you what, what you can do. But here at Lenexa in the North Sanctuary, uh, you can fill this out if you haven't already. You can do it individually. You can do it with a, 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 another family member and sign it on the bottom. Uh, if you're a guest, we, that's all we need you to do. But if you're a part of this church, on the back is what you believe through prayer is God's desire for you to give the fattest parts of the first fruits, uh, um, of what you have and what you believe between now and the end of the year you will be able to give and when you've got that set then I want to ask you to come down here to the center stage and walk it up and there are pins here and you pin this onto one of the uncharted letters okay for those of you who are guests just the front part for those of you who are part of West Side, if God's led you to do so you do both if you're in the South Sanctuary, you're welcome to come over to the North Sanctuary to join us. Uh, But if not, uh, there is a basket in the front where you can put the card. And then as you leave, there is communion supplies for you, communion elements for you to pick up and bring back to your seat so we can take together as a family. Um, The same is true for us in here. When you're done, I want you to go off to one of the sides and you'll find a table with the communion elements. Grab hold of that, go back to your seat. We'll take it together as a family. Uh, For those that you are watching online, uh, you can just uh, post your Thanksgiving note and even your offering uh, in the chat section. And we're gonna collect all that together and report back uh, what the collective body of Jesus at Westside Family Church, whether here or anywhere, uh, did on this Thanksgiving day. And as always, speed of the leader, speed of the team, Uh, Roseanne and I will go first. And then after we're done, Feel free to join us up on stage.